Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. I remember as a teenager that people used to say, oh, you're starting to act like your parents, and that was like mortifying, right? Like you just, sometimes it seems unavoidable, but yet the older we get, isn't it seem like we just turn more and more and more progressively into our parents? Like it's hard to pull away from that gravitational pull. I want to share a couple of video with you today that looks like there might be help for those of us that are going down that road. Would you watch these uh, ads with me here for just a minute? My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for so dinner. So we're just using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. If you're looking for a grout brush. This Garth, is did he ask for your help? No. 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 We all see it. We all see it. He has blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep coming. You don't know. We're at the movies and we need to silence our phone. Who knows where that button is? I don't have silent. Everyone does, right up here. It happens to all of us. We buy a new home and we turn into our parents. What I do is help new homeowners overcome this. Was that an adjustable spanner? Good choice, Steve. Okay, don't forget, you're not assisting him. You hired him. You have nowhere to sit. You have too many. Who else reads books about submarines? My dad. Yeah. Oh, those are... Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Look at that. I noticed it as soon as we moved into the new house. A lot of people have vertical blinds. Well, if a lot of people jump off a bridge, would you? You hungry? I'm okay, right? I'm... I'm becoming my, uh, mother. It's been hard, but some of the stuff he says is actually pretty helpful. Pumpkin bundling our home and auto insurance is a good deal, like buying a boat. That's fun, right? Progressive can't protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you that you're becoming like your mother or your father? I hear that a lot <laughs> as I turn into my dad over the years. It almost seems unavoidable at some times, like there's just a pull that's happening as much as we might recognize that in our shopping habits or buying bulk or clothing choices like the white New Balance shoes, you know what's up, uh, as much as we would recognize it in some of those places, what about in our faith life? When we say that God is our Father, are our lives progressively growing to look more like His? Do we walk more like the way Jesus walks? Do we talk and do we think more like we see Jesus thinking and talking in the Scriptures? Is that same growth, is that same pull towards Christ's likeness happening in our faith life? I think as much as we would journey through Scripture and 
we would see it in other ways in our lives, I think it's going to encounter us again and again that our call as Christians, as God's kids, is that we continually look more and more like him. I welcome you back to our teaching series through the book of James. Uh, We're taking a a verse-by-verse journey through the book of James. We pause for Christmas, and we're about 13 weeks in now, and, and James is already caused us to wrestle with some pretty hard truths, with, with some things that we really have to chew on, if you will. And we know that James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing this letter to believers who are outside of Jerusalem, outside of the capital city, and they're facing persecution that's an ongoing challenge of rejection and being ridiculed in their community. I mean, you could think that they're getting the bad jobs at the office, and maybe they're getting butt out of the line at the grocery store, or picked on or bullied on the playground at school. They're facing so many challenges that you could arguably look at their lives and you could seem to justify their willingness or wanting at least to just give up, to throw in the towel on this Jesus thing. That's the life, that's the culture, that's the happenings that James is writing this letter to. And James is is very brunt and he's very practical in his telling of the faith. There's a famous movie line, you can't handle the truth. Well, if that's you today, James is going to be a little hard to wrestle with because he doesn't hide anything that he's thinking. He lets us have it full strength. One of the key themes of his entire letter is that faith without works is dead. We see that played out and teased out in so many different ways. And and for James, if the faith we profess in Christ doesn't change our everyday, ordinary lives, it's as good as dead. It's useless. It's fake. If our faith doesn't help us to find joy amidst the trials, there might be something wrong with our faith. If if faith in Jesus doesn't cause us to treat everyone with equal love and respect regardless of age or racial, social status, there's something wrong with our faith that's phony. If our faith in Jesus doesn't transcend and change our speech, James' warning is that it might not be real faith. Throughout the first chapters of this letter, James has shown us that there are some very practical ways that our faith, our our loving of Jesus must show up in our lives. He gives us no wiggle room. As we're coming into the conclusion of chapter 3 in our study today, we find James challenging us once again, but this time not just in our faith, but in our wisdom. Now, James thankfully, is not concerned about our spelling or our grammar or even our multiplication tables. And I, for one, am glad for all of those things because I would be in worse trouble. But he's concerned about how we live because wisdom is more than information. It's what we do with the information and the knowledge that we have. Wisdom is really knowledge in action in our everyday lives. It's how we view things. It's how we interact and engage with people and with our world. James, last week we looked at verse 13 through 16 and that we were really looking at two different types of wisdom. There's only two sources, two choices at which we can choose from for wisdom. We're either sourced by God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, or we are sourced by and living through worldly wisdom sourced by the devil himself. Last week, Pastor Terry helped us to unpack what it means to live with worldly wisdom, how that shows up in our lives. And wisdom that is not of God is known to be bitter and envious. Worldly or demonic wisdom is known to be harsh and vengeful and resentful towards God and towards 
others. It's totally void of the Spirit of God. Worldly, demonic wisdom is not just a bad idea. It's a bad way to live your life. Finally, in verse 16, James comes to the conclusion that earthly wisdom or demonic wisdom, where it is present, where that exists in our lives and in our world, there will be disorder and evil of every kind. That's what it produces. Like faith for James, he is saying that wisdom will be known by what it produces. James leaves us again no way out. The wisdom of the world can only produce those things. It can only produce unrest and evil of every kind. Now, I confess to you that if the story ended here, it would seem like we were down a dark alley with no way back out. But thank goodness today, friends, it does not end here. There is an alternative. There is a different source of wisdom at which we can draw from, at which we can live within. Would you turn with me to James chapter 3 today, beginning in verse 17, and let's have a look at God's wisdom and what that produces in our lives. And I'm going to follow suit with Pastor Terry. If you are able and you have your copy of Scripture, would you stand with me and we will read God's Word together. It's only two verses. It won't take long. Chapter 3, verse 17, James says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. You may be seated this morning. Imagine with me for just a moment, if you will, Imagine we just pulled up to a drive-through menu board. Think of your favorite Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, and you pull up to the menu board, and this is what you see. You see the worldly wisdom combo deal. Comes with bitterness, envy, selfishness of every kind. We have evil of every kind and unrest. Comes with free lifetime supply of regret, guilt, and shame. Would you like to upsize that for 99 cents today? No. No. I don't want to do that. I mean, doesn't already, wouldn't we rather have purity and peace and being considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit? Why would we look at a board and choose worldly wisdom? But it's not that easy, is it? There's something about us we like to win. Some of you, if I put a board game in front of you, you would like metamorphosis into another person because that edge comes out of you. you got to win. There's something within us that we like to win. We like to be right. We like to have it our way. Our flesh yearns for these things to be true that we desire, that our way would say is right. I mean, come on, the hardest three words to string together in sentence form in the English language are you were right. Can I get an amen? I mean, who likes to say that? Show of hands. Yeah, me neither. Being submissive and merciful can sometimes mean that we got to take it on the chin. It means that we have to put aside what we would prefer and allow someone else that space to have maybe what they would desire. Let's, let's just bring this idea of, of two choices for wisdom into our everyday lives. Let's pull it into our context. How would you respond or how do you respond to that person that cuts you off on 33 in traffic? Is your response and your thoughts running through your mind sourced from heaven? 
or source from the world or from the devil. What about your response when someone offends you or or, or things don't go your way? Is that response sourced by God or sourced by the world? How about when it gets even a little more personal? How about when somebody's falsely accusing you at work or at school or whatever that context is? Does the thoughts coming through your mind and your response, does it resemble heaven or the demonic wisdom of the world? What about in the middle of that misunderstanding that's going on right now in your life? When you just want like, right? Yeah, I have those feelings too. But what are we operating with? How are we implementing what we know to be true from God's word? What do those responses, what do those interactions look like? James is calling his readers here, you and me, He's calling his readers to something different, a different way of life, a way of life that is God-given, Jesus-oriented, spirit-led way of living. Verses 17 and 18 today in our text, James goes to great lengths unpacking vocabulary and trying to paint different pictures for us to see what the wisdom alternative is like. So as we dive into our text today, let's pray. I know this is only two verses and it's, it's really short and it's really simple, but I think it's pretty profound. So would you pray with me today? Lord, um, we have a choice today in how we live our lives, what wisdom we operate out of. God, we want to live out of heavenly wisdom. We don't want to pull up to the menu board and choose regret and shame and vengeance and all those things, Lord. We want to live like you. So, Lord, help us today to unpack your truth. Be open to your word, to receiving you today, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name. Amen and amen. So let's start back at the beginning of verse 17. We're going to just unpack a little bit. There's a ton of vocabulary here that has such rich truth. And uh, just as we get to know each other better through this journey, I love scripture that has diverse vocabulary in it and pulling that apart. So forgive me if I get a little excited about definitions and things. Uh, But verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It is impartial and it's sincere. Wisdom from heaven is first of all pure. Wisdom that comes from God is basically what he's saying here is it's not polluted by sin. You know how you you wear that white sweater to an Italian restaurant and it's inevitable. There's going to be some red sauce on that sweater. Like it's coming. And you have one spot, but the whole thing is now soiled, right? Because of one spot. And he's saying here that the wisdom that comes from God is unspotted, it's unpolluted, it's undefiled by sin. It is pure. And that is because it is the very nature, it's the very spirit of God himself in his holiness. And this shows up in motives. It shows up in motives. When we receive those calls about your car warranty or that free trip that we always receive like one a week of, We say no or we hang up on those calls, not because we don't want a good running car or a free trip. We hang up because we question their motives. We are uh, knowing from past experience their motives are not pure. I can tell you if you're trying to offer me a warranty on a 99 Civic with 210,000 miles, you don't have good motives. You want something else out of this deal. 
besides my good running car. I just know it. And so this idea that God's wisdom is pure is that it is of his nature, it's of his character and his spirit, and therefore it purifies us, and how we engage our world is first of all pure. He goes on, wisdom from heaven is then peace-loving. William Barclay says here that peace, when it's used in this context, at its basic meaning means right relationship between individuals and between individuals and God. So peace-loving carries this idea of loving peace and promoting and pursuing peace. We will often call peace the absence of conflict. And, I mean, once we get to the absence of conflict, don't most of us just take an exhale and go, glad that's over. But the vocabulary here and what he's trying to paint is us is that this is an active pursuit of reconciliation. It's not a passive resignation that there's just no conflict. It goes beyond the absence of conflict to make reconciliation, to promote peace. That's the wisdom of God. James goes on, he says, wisdom from heaven is considerate, or your translation may say gentle there. And there's this idea that wisdom is gracious and it's patient. Heavenly wisdom is not out for vengeance. It's not harsh in its interactions. It's sensitive to the needs of others. It's even yielding to others' preferences or others' opinions, not demanding to have things our own way. Heavenly wisdom is not combative. It's not trying to stir up stuff. It avoids anger. It avoids being poked and prodded to anger to a response or a reaction. If you're paying attention this morning, and I hope you are, you're already starting to see we're only a couple descriptors in and you can see that James is painting a totally different portrait of wisdom. It's not just different than earthly or demonic wisdom. It's totally opposite. And I think that's what he's trying to get us to see. He goes on, heavenly wisdom is submissive. Heavenly wisdom is submissive. I think basically if James were here today, he would say heavenly wisdom is not stubborn. Now, don't everybody at once look at who you rode to church with today. That could get a little weird. All right, let's just focus forward for a minute. Focus forward. Heavenly wisdom is not stubborn. It is submissive. Heavenly wisdom is reasonable. This means, now this, we're, we're not talking about giving in when moral or theological doctrines are on the line, but it's being willing to defer the decision to somebody else. If you like that paint color on that wall, okay, fine. Let it be plaid. I don't care. It's not going to matter in five days. You see, it's, it's that being willing to give in. There, it's tying into that promoting of peace. Can I say, yeah, whatever, just go do you. It'll be good. We can have plaid floors and walls. It's fine. It's that being willing to defer to someone else's preference. It's being willing to engage in dialogue with someone who disagrees with you. It's being willing to hear their thoughts and their positions and even willing to consider them for yourself. Heavenly wisdom sees value and good in other people's ideas and their positions and their opinions. James keeps going. He says, heavenly wisdom is full of mercy 
and good fruit. Heavenly wisdom is full. You know that feeling you had after eating Christmas dinners where you're like stuffed to the gills in some dire need of some stretchy pants? I'm not going to ask for who felt that over Christmas, but you get that feeling like you like to explode, right? That's the idea behind full here. That's the imagery that James is getting us to see. So think about that. Heavenly wisdom is so stuffed to the gills. It's so overflowing, packed tight with mercy and good fruit. Now, you remember the tail end of what earthly wisdom produced, right? Unrest, evil of every kind. You see these are so opposite. The outcomes of these wisdom are so different. It's quite a difference. He continues, he says, heavenly wisdom is impartial. Heavenly wisdom is impartial. It carries the idea of not making distinctions between different people. And we remember this from our study earlier. So he's circling back to this same idea of not showing partiality to people based off of exterior uh, qualifications, age, race, gender, social status, any of those things. The wisdom of God, heavenly wisdom is impartial. It's treating everyone equally and fairly, especially those with whom we might disagree Heavenly wisdom doesn't play favorites or give preference. It promotes unity and serves to protect. It serves to protect against strife and disunity. You hear that it's active in so many ways. It's not passive. It's engaging those sometimes difficult places. Finally, James concludes here with heavenly wisdom is sincere. Your translation might say without hypocrisy. Living a life marked by heavenly wisdom is not about fake it till you make it. It won't hold up. It's not about acting the part in front of certain people. How we live on Sunday morning at church should be the same life we live on Monday at work, and it should be the same life we live out on Saturday night. Heavenly wisdom is sincere. It is without hypocrisy, it's genuine, it's authentic. And, and we can recognize, don't we value that in other people? Genuine and authentic. When, when someone possesses heavenly wisdom, you, you might think of them that you can count on them. You can go to them for advice or counsel. Uh, I, I hope to get Brian Charette down here sometime to bring the word, but Brian Charette uh, is on uh, part-time staff at our Harrisonburg campus, and He's a man of wisdom. The man you're going to run into at the wellness center is the same kind and gracious and wise man that you're going to sit down to prepare sermons with or that you would have a counseling session with. His wisdom is of heaven. And whether you're engaging him about social matters or ethical matters or how to complete something totally irrelevant, He's always gracious. He's always kind. He's always sharing from the resource of Christ in his life. He is a man that demonstrates heavenly wisdom. As we transition here, you can tell that this is classic James. Like the life that he has portrayed, I mean, he, he's shining some light on some areas of our lives that we would just as soon left in the dark, right? Like I was out after submissive, like I, 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 I Right? Like we recognize that he is calling us to something different beyond how we feel, beyond what the world may say is the way to live. 
I think if we're honest, whether we've been a Christian 30 years or 30 days, or we're maybe even still on the fence about this Jesus thing, that James is calling us to a life that's different. Not just a little different. Not just different on Sunday. Different. Different. I think that's what he's trying to get us to see. Yes, he wants us to make different choices. He wants us to concentrate on doing these things in our lives, but I think he's concerned about the source that is living within us. And we only have two choices. It's the source, the living God, Jesus Christ, alive within us. Or is the source, the devil, demonic wisdom, the world, I think we can recognize the difference in how the world operates and what James is calling us to here. Heavenly wisdom lived out every day is going to take our lives somewhere completely different. It's going to change the trajectory of our lives. And I don't think that's just preacher hyperbole here today. I think he's pointing to a different way, a different destination. Let's again, let's, let's pull this Let's pull this into our world, into 2022. Let's think about social media for a second. What if, what if, before you were allowed to click post or share on anything, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, I don't, e I don't even know what all you might be into. What if, before you could click post or share or like, you had to click off seven buttons that were listed for heavenly wisdom, does this post meet peaceable, kind, considerate, loving, merciful, good fruit? Would that, would that change your social media profile today? That, that's what this text is calling us to, is to put it into practice. Let's try another one. What if... Every time you engaged a conversation that included the words Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, right? What if every word and every thought had to pass through these seven criteria? What would that change? What would that change in my life and in my relationships? What about in that place that you're in a disagreement with someone right now? I, I don't know what it is, but you know. You know that thing in your life right now that, I mean, you just as soon strangle them as look at them, right? I get it. We've all been there. What if everything, every thought, every word had to pass by these seven characteristics of God's wisdom? And if it didn't pass, whether it, our, our post didn't pass, our share didn't pass, or our, our, even our thought life didn't pass, we shut it down. What would that change? What about our church? Yeah, our little church here in East Rock. Would anything change? I mean, I'm, I'm asking me that today. I'm asking me that today. I think, I think 
I think the answer, as much as we might hesitate to admit it, is that everything in our lives would look different if we lived out of heavenly wisdom. Let's look at how James concludes this passage in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Let me read that again. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness or disorder and every evil practice. Two dramatically different destinations for our lives. Two dramatically different opposing outcomes for our everyday. We have a choice. As the band comes today and we come to the close of our service, do you remember getting a report card in school? Uh, yeah, that's right. I know some of you do. <laughs> like you get this piece of paper, right? And it's telling everything you've been up to like the last six or nine weeks, right? You're looking at this thing going, oh, shoot. i got to show this to mom and dad. <laughs> now, if you were on the A or honor roll, you're like, yeah, we're going to Outback tonight. <laughs> or you're either looking at that thing going, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> what if today we got a report card on the subjects that James had been giving us today? We're going to get a grade today on purity, on peace-loving, on considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, and sincere. If there was a report card dropped in your lap today, how would you feel? You going to be excited? Or are you going to be looking at some in-school suspension? <laughs> how would you feel today? The reality for us today is that we will be judged on the wisdom at which we live our lives out of. We will. As challenging as this text can be, I pray that we're not he just hearing me yell at you or hear James yell at you. It's an invitation. It's hard. I mean, this truth searches places we want to leave alone. But that's the power of the gospel. It's that God sees those places that we, we miss the mark, that we're not doing it quite right, that our report card's going to get us in trouble. And he says, let me help you do this differently. Let me help you live a life that's going to take you somewhere totally different. Let me change the landscape from evil and disorder and envy and all of those things. Let me change the horizon for you. Let's start planting peace so we can reap a harvest of righteousness. That's the invitation. It's not just a self-help ten guides to better living. That's not, that's not all it. It's about receiving God's wisdom. It's about receiving Him and His Spirit and yielding to Him in those places where our flesh cries out for to be justified. It cries out to get back. It's a call to yield. It's a call to receive. James started out his letter in chapter 1 telling us to ask. 
not telling us to just do better, not, not telling us that we're a failure, not telling us everywhere we're doing it wrong. He says, no, ask. Ask. Chapter 1, I think it was verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks the way to pull this life off, lacks the hope to end up somewhere different, ask. Ask. You should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. God knows what's on your report card today. He's not surprised. But he's not finding fault. He's saying, allow me to fill you with my presence and bring you my wisdom. Will you ask today? Friends, God's wisdom is a precious gift. Let's ask him for it today. And keep asking for it. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, how's my report card today? I could guess that I might get a C plus in some places. I might squeak by with a B minus, but Lord, I there's probably some D's and F's in that list. But God, your word says that your wisdom is pure. That if we're acing it on one spot and we still have a red stain on our white sweater, we still have a stain on our sweater. And so God, we're asking you today for your wisdom. Lord, we're asking for your presence. For your purity, God, to fill us, to cleanse us. And Lord, when it comes to grinding gears and the rubber meets the road, Lord, we need your presence to do it differently. Lord, because we'll roll up to that drive through menu and we'll choose the worldly wisdom combo every time because sometimes it feels better in the moment. God, will you help us to see a horizon different? God, a horizon of hope because we are peacemakers. May our lives reap a harvest of righteousness. Help us today, Father. Your word says ask. So, Lord, today we're asking you. We're inviting you in those hard places, those painful places, Lord. Do you, God. Do you. Lord, we love you. We are desperate for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.